Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to ask that you guys do this. Would you guys stand for the reading of Scripture? And actually, if you would do this, you can put your Bibles down for a second. Um, Again, this might be uncomfortable, but too bad. If you would, maybe just grab the hand of someone next to you or put your hand around them or on their back, whatever you feel most comfortable with. I just want to read this scripture and then pray. Listen to what the Holy Spirit has for us today. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. (laughs) Father, we just want to say thank you for your goodness. God, that you are, you see the church's heart, our needs, that you are so faithful to remind us. Jesus, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word this morning and do something very profound. Lord, help us not be a Bible study. Help us not just be some information. Jesus, I ask that we, everyone in this room, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been born again, that we would seek the things that are above. That we'd set our mind on the things above, where you are, Jesus. It's where you are. Lord, we thank you for the promise that our life is hidden in you. And that if you are alive, when Christ's life appears, we will appear with you in glory. Jesus, I just ask that you would let this be something we believe into today. Jesus, I just want to pray for our body, the Escobar family. There's so many things I want to say, but I just want to be patient, Lord. I just ask that you would just bring healing and um, that you would be blessed and glorified in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can take a seat. So my mind um, has been all over the place this weekend. I'm sure a lot of you guys' minds um, who are close to the situation has. This is honestly weird. I've kind of dreaded the thought of today. When I say my mind's been all over the place, it's just very bizarre how, um, and you guys know, in just a season of loss, you can have these weird, painful moments, these weird, beautiful, laughing moments, and my mind's been all over the place. And here's why I'm I'm bringing this up. The Bible talks about our mind in a very unique way, and I really want everyone to hear this. When the Bible speaks of our mind, it talks about our mind doesn't control us as much as we control our mind, which is so different, I think, actually, than maybe what the world says, so our, our brain, the way it's wired. The Bible actually says you have a say in what your mind thinks on. It's not just that the mind is the most powerful thing about you, it's that it's the spirit that controls the mind. My mind can go to some dangerous places. My mind can go to some painful places. And I love that he says, set your mind on things above. 
Set your mind, you have a say in what you set your mind. The Bible has a lot to say about being heavenly minded. A lot to say about being heavenly minded. You know, it, I don't know if about you, but in the day-to-day of life, in the busyness of life, it's very difficult to be heavenly minded. I can be minded about a lot of things. I can be mindful of a lot of things. But I think of something like heaven, which is something we don't see, it's, it's difficult. You know, if you think about what you set your mind to, that idea, right? You set your mind to something, that phrase people use. You think about like, okay, if I can see something, I can like set my mind to it. So the idea is, um, if I like want to like lose weight, I just like look at an old picture and I'm like, okay, I can be like that guy, miss that guy, right? You can like set your mind because you see it. There's a lot of things like, okay, if I could just, or there's some, maybe there's someone you look up to and there's something like, okay, I'm going to chase after that. Like that's a good example because I, I have an imagery. I know what I'm looking for. The thing about heaven that's bizarre is um, we haven't seen it. How do we set our mind on things above? where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like, how do we say, even though I don't see it, I want to set my mind on it? You know, it's interesting, right? Like, there's a few ways, I don't know, to think about this. I've never been to a lot of cities. I've never been to Chicago. Never seen Chicago. I think that's my brother's favorite city. A lot of you, I'm like, I love Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. Now, if a friend comes to me and says, man, I just got back from Chicago. It's amazing. Here's some pictures. I'm not going to be like, yo, I've, I've never been there. I've never seen it. I don't believe it exists. Good for you, though. Good for you. It's like, but you, I have pictures, I have images, yeah, in the AI world that we live in, I mean, come on, anyone can make a fake picture of Chicago. How do we know it's not just auto-generated? Come on, like, we could easily, easily today pull off and make up a city. I could make up a city right now, probably put it on the screen, you'd be like, oh, I've been there, I've heard of that, like, liar. Like, we could do that. The, the point, though, is I don't have to see it to know it exists. Meaning, it's crazy that every person, every people group, there is this weird desire of... Is there something more than this? Like, is this it? Is this really how life goes? You know, I love how C.S. Lewis said it, and I would rather read it than try to. He said, if I find, my, if I find in myself desires which are nothing in, in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I mean, we know that phrase, we've heard that quote, but it's, it's fascinating, right? Why do we have these desire? If I don't have desires for things that don't exist, it's not like, man, I really just wish like unicorns are real. And since we all desire unicorns, they're probably real. Like, no, there is this desire with it. Not all of mankind, every person, every people group, everywhere of like, there has to be something after this, right? And he goes, if everyone has the same desire, it must be because there's something that can fulfill that desire. If every person and people group all over the world have like this idea of afterlife, and I know that maybe nowadays the modern man might look down upon that, but we can't get away from that ontological kind of argument of there's something in all of us for more than this world. And it must be because there is another world. So when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is that friend who visited Chicago. <laughs> Jesus is that person who says, no, I have eternally existed. I've been there. When I go back, I'm going to prepare your place. If it were not so, I, I, wouldn't, have told, I wouldn't tell you this. I'm doing this for you. This, is, this idea of being heavenly minded, we can be introduced to it because Jesus is like, yo, can I tell you, I've been there. I'm going back there. I'm preparing a place for you. Be heavenly minded. 
what I want to just simply do today in our text um, is just kind of use it as a springboard in many ways and just kind of look at it, but um, I just want to walk through this. Uh, first thought is this, set your mind, then send your treasure, and then seek his coming. Set your mind, send your treasure, seek his coming. Here's just the first thought. Set your mind. Can we read verse one again? Let's just read verse one, what he says. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been born again, if Jesus took you from death to life, if you believed on Jesus, if you've been raised, seek the things that are above. What, what's above? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I love that imagery. Christ is seated. He's communicating by seating. It's finished. It's done. I've paid the way, the work of the cross, the need for us to enter into eternal life. He's like, I can sit down now because that's paid for. The work is done. He's seated at the right hand of God. He goes, if you've been raised, seek Jesus. Seek the things that are above where Christ, where Christ is. That's where, seek him. Seek the things that are above. It is bizarre because I do hear a lot of people, you know, talk through this. There's actually like a different, um, a few like humanitarian kind of movements and groups and secular organizations that will say one of the worst things that has ever happened to mankind and still plagues mankind is their belief in the afterlife. There's kind of this idea to this day of this has done more harm because if you have people who think about the afterlife, they won't care about this world. And there's a strong argument that they make and it's like, well, think about it. For the Christians or Muslims or anyone who believes in the afterlife, any religious person who believes in the afterlife, they actually don't care about this world at all. And there's a lot of arguments that people try to make for that, and you can almost see their point at times. I do think scripture offers an alternative to that. It's basically saying, actually those who think most of the next world care most about this one. You know, I, I agree with what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's quoting the Ephesian philosophers of his day, and he says this, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul doesn't believe that, Paul is taking this argument in 1 Corinthians 15 all about the resurrection, and he goes, you know what? If there's no resurrection, I think the Ephesian philosophers have it right. Just eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die, right? Basically, if there's no afterlife, just serve yourself, live for you. You do you, all those sayings that we say today. It's basically just do whatever you want because we're just going to die anyways. Paul's argument is actually saying, no, because we believe there's an afterlife, we will actually care more about the people in this world and this world itself. Uh, a Russian philosopher who I've started reading recently and really enjoyed, can't say his name though, Dostoevsky, <laughs> he says, if God is dead, if there is no bigger world than this, everything is permitted. He carries out their argument and says, okay, if there's no God, there's no resurrection, you're actually going to be more selfish, more self-indulging, care less about the world, care less about what God has given us like ownership of. Everything's permitted. I really do believe it's the exact opposite of how the world twists it. You care so much about the afterlife, you don't care about it. It's like, no, I think the only way to care about what's in front of us and stewarding what's in front of us is by knowing there is something more than this. This is just so important. This is so, um, Paul in the New Testament, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. This word seek, seek the things, he's like, it just carries the idea of passionately pursue with urgency. That's like the definition, seek passionately pursue with urgency the things that are above. Do we actually care about what's next? I really do believe this. Like, what if we could see this world 
through heaven's perspective. You know the things that rile us up? The relationships, the arguments, the fights we get into and we break off and I don't want to talk to them again. What if we could just see earth for a moment from heaven's perspective? Like, really? Is that the thing that's going to divide you? Is that going to be the thing that moves you? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. If you notice, Paul, he's using like a positive and in this negative argument. He's like, set your mind on things above. Negative, not, not on the earth. This idea of not on the earth, it's crazy because that's, the, that's just the alternative. It's either your mind is on the here and now or your mind is in heaven and in eternity. And he's like, not on the earth. We miss it when it's, on, when it's on this earth. I think the problem with Christians throughout the years, decades, centuries, is when we've, we've forgot our heavenly mindset. That's usually when things go terribly wrong. It's usually like this person was living for Jesus and then the things of this world just choked out the desires for the things of God. He's like, that's the alternative. Either mine's in heaven or your mine's here. Here's a verse that really communicates that. First John 2.15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is this like weird fight in our heart for love. Love for God supremely or just love for things. Love for creation. Love for the creator or love for creation. And we have to be aware that like there's been so many men and women who fall in trap of like, I'm pursuing God, I'm seeking God. And then the things of this world crowded in my heart. Yes, we, we just went through, um, you know, the Chronicles of the Kings. We looked at Solomon. Obviously, Solomon's just a fascinating character. He wrote, I think, one of the most important books. I think, I think the book of Ecclesiastes prepares your heart for the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes when I'm talking to someone who's like, oh, I don't believe in God, what should I read? I'm like, read Ecclesiastes and then go to John. <laughs> I'm like, because read Ecclesiastes, realize that everything in life is meaningless. And then when you find meaning in Jesus, it's going to change everything. But Ecclesiastes just tears you apart. He literally starts off and goes, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Welcome to the exchange. Welcome to just understanding God. You want to understand life? Everything's meaningless. He ends the book in Ecclesiastes by going, this is man's all. Seek him and obey his commandments. But he starts and just says, hey, we have to acknowledge everything's meaningless. We have to acknowledge this weird, deep sorrow in all of us. We're like, what, is this what it's about? He's like, no. There is that reality that without Christ, everything is meaningless. Everything is vain. It's a puff of smoke. It's just passing. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Solomon lost sight of that. Solomon, who wrote that, literally had everything. When it describes in 1 Kings, it's amazing. It's like he had more silver than the stones in the land of Judea. He had so much money. He had so many possessions. He threw the wildest, most extravagant parties. He literally says he brought in animals from like Africa, like lions and tigers and peacocks. He just, I don't know, whatever, that's probably India. But he just brought in like all this stuff, had the most like, crazy, wild parties, 700 wives, 300 concubines, right? Like, it's like he had a thousand, like more than he can count. It's insane. He literally had everything I think a man thinks if I could just have, then I'd be happy. He had it all, and then he writes, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. The guy who has everything goes, ah, it's kind of pointless. I think he lost sight of that. We're told in 1 Kings 11 that this is the end of Solomon's life. It says, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. When he was old, he lost sight of that. You guys might know the brief little description of someone who was with Paul in the New Testament, a guy named Demas, who at one point in time was serving Jesus but lost sight in 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul writes this, his last letter before he's going to die, and says, for Demas has forsaken me why he loved this present world. Either you set your mind on things above or you set your mind on things of the earth. 
Either you're living for heaven or you're living for something temporary. The, the, the whole idea of today is live for heaven. Live for heaven. You probably obviously know what context I'm preaching this through. I saw a guy live for heaven. There's nothing like that. When someone's like, it's not about me. It's amazing to be around people who are heavenly minded. It's absolutely amazing. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, and this is, I just want to throw this up here. It's one of those powerful, I think, descriptions for us. He says, and he's addressing the issue of you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, that kind of conversation. He says, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversation of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, but something like it can be seen at work in other matters. Only way to be effective. Aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. It's the whole seek first the kingdom, all these other things. If we could do anything, I'd say set your mind on things above. I think anxiety and a lot of the things we're walking through, the fears, the concerns, the doubts, the what if this next World War Three thing, all of those things, if our mind is set on that, of course the outcome will be anxiety, frustration, pain, social isol isolation. But what if your mind's on things above where Christ is? Where Christ is? What if, if you've been raised with Christ and you seek the things that are above? What would that do? That just leads me to my next thought. I put set your mind. Number two is um, send your treasure. He says seek the things that are above. I, listen, there's no doubt that when Paul wrote this, he has the mind or words of Jesus in mind. Matthew 6, 33, Luke 12, 34. We know what Jesus said. He said, um, Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's no doubt. There's this New Testament idea of just, hey, um, wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. And like this can happen intentionally or unintentionally, right? Like you know unintentionally, you could just be focused on fill in the blank. It could be your phone, it could be distracted, whatever. The more, whatever you focus on, that's where your heart's going to naturally kind of go towards. So if you're just taking in a certain information or a certain topic, your heart will go for that. And it can be intentional and unintentional. It is funny to me, you know, there'll be times my wife will have like some wife show, I don't know, you name it. Beverly Hillbillies of something, I don't know. But they'll have like she'll have some show or some fashion show or some dating show. And like I'll be on my phone and like we're, you know, hanging out through, we're tired, the kids are in bed, we're just exhausted, whatever's on, and, and like an episode or two goes by and I'm like, well, why did that guy do that to her? Like that's messed up. And she's like, Oh, you care? I'm like, I don't care. Go back to my phone. <laughs> and then like another episode, I'm like, she watches two more without me. And I'm like, why'd you watch that without me? She's like, I don't I didn't think you liked it. I'm like, I don't like it, but just tell me what happened. Right? <laughs> and it's it's just funny. It's like it can unintentionally happen. You know? unintentionally, things crowded your attention, your space, your mind. Your heart fell for those things. It can be unintentional. That's why he's like, set your mind or seek the things. He's saying, you know what, you do need to be intentional 
with what you're putting in before you. Because watch your heart follow. Jesus says again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you do hear people, you just said it all like backwards. Like where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Like no, no. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you are investing your treasure, your time, your energy, your money, your life, whatever, you're investing it into something, your heart's going to be for that thing. It's crazy how, like, you'll see that just a simple principle of, like, I fell out of love with my husband, with my wife. I'm good. We're going through this. It's like, okay, put your treasure back into the person. Watch your heart follow. My, my heart's not there anymore. Put your treasure there. I'm not saying put your heart there. I'm saying put your treasure there. Watch your heart follow that. This is just a biblical principle that's so beautiful. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It will follow that also. You know, I do think when, you, when it talks about, when I said send your treasure, what is that? Seek the things that are above. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus is describing also the kingdom of God and putting your treasure in the kingdom of God, not living for this world, okay? So we're like, okay, so what does that look like exactly? What are eternal things? What are things that God has made that would go to live on? People. Investing in people. Investing in things that we can take with us. Can't take things, I can take people. You know, my wife and I um, were moving here 15 years ago. In January, will be 15 years. We were newly married, like 11 months married. We are in her house, her old house. Um, everything's packed up. Everything's in the vans. And it's the night before the move. We're leaving like at 6 a.m. to do a five-day road trip to Florida. And I remember just sitting in her bedroom. She fell asleep, and I was reading. And it's, it's weird. Like, you know, I was, I was so like, Lord, you called us here, and I was ready for the move. And not like phase, like, let's go. I'm like, so excited for this next chapter. The night before, it really hit me emotionally, and it really just hit me in every way. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I have to do this? I felt called here. The calling was strong, but then, like, I sound so weird, but I had, like, this weird, like, but really, what are we doing? And I remember this might sound so strange, because I talk to people who get mad at God whenever they're in the midst of a trial. Like, why would God? I don't know. They get mad at God. The weirdest thing happened. I know this might sound. I literally got mad at the garden. <laughs> I, get, I was basically going, God, if man didn't disobey you and do this in the fall, and men were you know, disconnected from you, I would not have to preach the gospel and do what I'm doing. It sounds so stupid, but that was like, my mind went like, could you imagine? Like, we, we blame God for something we did. And like, this weird anger came over me of like, man, we blew it. And ever since then, God's been trying to reconcile the world to himself. And God's like, I, I actually want people to join me in this mission to reconcile the world to me. The most beautiful thing is that we get to be a part of reconciling the world to God. Do you understand that God is not indifferent towards our pain? God is not indifferent towards our trials. God's not indifferent towards our suffering. God is so good. God is like, I care so much about your, your pain and your suffering. I'm going to enter this world and take on your pain and suffering. What worldview, what faith says, no, God became man, walked among us, and suffered and bled and died innocently. God is not in heaven going, I'm so sorry you're going through what you're going through. But God's like, I actually know because I became a man and walked among you and watched my best friends die. And I wept with you and I wept with them and I get it. And the thing that's interesting to me when I say send your treasure, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this is I think trials, do not, do, when you go through something, I don't know what to call it, when you're suffering in incapacity, does it not awaken a part of your heart that longs for eternity? It's just weird how God like awakens this part of my heart where I'm like, what the heck? Oh, this is why we're here. Because man, if you just go through life like a zombie, I wake up, 
we take care of the kids, or we get ready, we eat, we go to work, we do things, we go to bed, we're tired, our brain, we want to loaf around, we want to zombie out. And it takes some critical moments in life to wake us up and say, what are you doing? Why are you here? What is the point? And it's crazy how whatever you want to call it, it's just weird how like something like this, it awakens your heart to, oh, this is what matters. Send your treasure is, I would say, people's big part of that. Invest in people. The more people I love who end up in the presence of Jesus, the more I'm like, okay, I see what it's doing. My heart's there more. My treasure's there, so my heart's there. Is that, is that not what happens? You go, oh, I get it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm saying invest in lives, invest in eternity. Live for what matters. Live for the kingdom. Live for Jesus. Paul says, set your mind. Seek the things that are above. Send your treasure. This is so important. Tozer wrote in his book, um, I think it's called The Radical Cross. He said, the weakness of so many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. In their effort to achieve restful adjustment to unregenerate society, they have lost their pilgrim character and become an essential part of the very moral order against which they are set, sent to protest. The world recognizes them and accepts them for what they are, and this is the saddest thing that can be said about them. They are not lonely, but neither are they saints. He's basically making an argument like we kind of just live in this middle. We get too comfortable. One of the things that can happen is we just get too comfortable, and it's like we're, we're missing it. We shouldn't feel too comfortable here. If you ever like, I don't feel good like here. If you ever feel like I'm uncomfortable, like good. The, the Bible actually talks about in 1 Peter 2, 11, like you are pilgrims and strangers or sojourners. He goes, I beg you as pilgrims and sojourners, abstain from uh, worldly lusts or fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. This idea like this is not your home. So of course you're gonna feel not at home. If you don't feel at home in your body and in this world, it's like, yes, because this is not your home. You were made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person and heaven is the place. So it's understandable when it's like, I don't feel at home. It's, it's understandable. Send your treasure there. He says the problem is we're too comfortable. Send your treasure there. The last thing he says so beautifully is in verse three through four. He basically is like, seek his coming or long for this coming. Like notice what he says in verse three. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ who is your life appears, that phrase, man, has been sitting out because it's like, if Christ isn't your life, do we get the last part? When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So first of all, I'll just say, is Christ your life? Is Christ my life? Is he, pre is he truly like, I'm alive to him? I'm living for him. It's all about him. Well, then when he appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. There is this beautiful thing that Paul is doing. He's tying the, the coming of Jesus to be this like beautiful longing in our heart. It's funny how as a kid or maybe even as a young adult, you might feel like, oh, the coming of Jesus is so daunting. Can't you just like wait? And then you like live a little bit and you're like, can't you just come back now? Like, I don't like this. <laughs> like, I remember just thinking as a kid, like, come on, just wait at least until I'm married. Come on, God, like, you hook me up. <laughs> And it's funny, you're married, you're like, all right, you can come back now. <laughs> Don't laugh too hard, honey. All right. Um, there's something about that. I'm just like, Lord, just come. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Christ will appear. Will you appear with him in glory? 
He has to be your life. There's this longing for the coming of Jesus that Paul always, I can't read a New Testament letter without some sort of reference to Jesus' appearing or coming. I love that he says in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What? We're looking for the blessed hope and glorious, looking for, longing for, seek his coming. It's a blessed hope. We grieve, but we don't grieve like others. We have hope. The blessed hope of the glorious of appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Seek his coming. Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. All who have loved his appearing. That's great. A crown is promised just loving something. <laughs> to loving his appearing. You love his appearing. He's like, I got a crown for you. It's like, I, I want to be with you. We're not meant to get too comfortable here. Because we're camping. <laughs> we're, we're pilgriming. We're sojourning. We're on our way home. You need to know Jesus. You need to accept Jesus. You need to receive Jesus. When Christ, who's your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do we live into that? Do we walk in that? First John 3 talks about that. He talks about this idea of this vision of seeing Jesus. When we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. I'm so grateful that Jesus is the one who washed me. Jesus is the one who purified me. Jesus is the one who forgave me. And I want to preach that grace and walk in that grace every day. It's his grace. You've been saved by grace. I would say, um, church, we just want to put, we want to continue to daily. It's not like I put my faith in Jesus back in the fill-in-the-blank year. I put my faith in Jesus today. Walk with Jesus today. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Where Christ is. Seat at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For your life is hidden in Christ with God. And when Christ your life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. We just want to walk with Jesus, know Jesus. There's no greater gift than knowing Jesus. Obviously, I'm preaching this through a context where I have a friend with Jesus. He did it well. And I think God uses these moments to wake us up. To wake us up. Church, I would just love for us to wake up to what matters. And I know that it's easy, a few weeks, months, we can get back into a rhythm, a rut. Today, live and walk with Jesus. Tomorrow when you wake up, you breathe, live and walk with Jesus. Just decide daily, daily, daily. Daily, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad. This is the day. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to walk in it. What I want to do is just end with some prayer, end with some response, end with some worship, end with some thanking of Jesus and praising Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team up, but I'm also just going to ask that you guys, um, if you would like prayer, we'll have some leaders up here during the prayer time, during the worship time. If you want to wait till worship is over, that's fine. We just love to create some space. If you want to know this Jesus, you can just call on him and you'll be saved. 
We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to talk through what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But we'd love to walk you through that. If you're hurting and grieving, welcome. God is so good to grieve with us. And uh, we just want to invite you into that. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. Why don't you guys just stand really quick? And let's just close our time with just talking to him. If you don't mind, just closing your eyes, bowing your head, just being still for a second. Just being still. Father, we just want to thank you again for your son, Jesus. We want to thank you because he died, we live. Lord, we just want to embrace all that it is you have for us. Lord, I just want to thank you for everyone in this room, in this place, Jesus. God, I mean, you know where each one of us are at. And Lord, I just ask that... Um, Lord, in this just moment, in this time, that you'd meet with us. God, I believe you are so near. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be just open and ready for a breakthrough of your coming, Lord. God, just would you meet us here now? Would you just um, tear down the idols of my heart, of our hearts, of the earthly things that just crowd out the heavenly things? God, I just ask that um, you would just be on your throne, Jesus. We thank you. We look to you. We need you. Lord, we just want to just continue to pray for the, just everyone, this church body that's hurting, the Esquire family that's hurting. Jesus, we just ask for your loving hands and arms just to come around. Lord, so we just want to say thank you. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you that though we die, we shall live. And so we just look to you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We want to sing to you, praise you. In your precious name.